94.7. From the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, this is Aspect Radio. I'm Ben Flanagan. My co-host, Corey Kraft, is out of the studio today. So joining me, visiting all the way from New York City, is my brother, Graham Flanagan. Graham, welcome back. Good morning. It's great to be here. We have a few things to talk about today, Graham, including the latest on Roger Ebert's revival of his own classic film criticism television talk show at the movies. But we begin with a look at Luca Guadagnino's sprawling tale of philandering and self-discovery. I Am Love, set in Italy, is a drama about the wife of a wealthy Italian businessman who begins to question her own happiness as a poor chef and friend of her son's walks into her life and shakes the foundation of the family's principles, as do many other circumstances throughout the movie. Now, Graham, this movie was given the operatic treatment quite literally it feels during several sequences in that the production value is pretty exquisite and the stakes of love, legacy, and power and all of their positive and tragic possibilities potentially lead to matters of life and death. So, did you find Guadagnino's epic to be a powerful Shakespearean stance on romance and economic class, or is it just grandiose melodrama and maybe a script that someone like Douglas Sirk might have left in the drawer? I think that it's one of the movies that we, that everybody you know, should see this, this summer. I'm not saying it's the best movie of the summer. It's not an exception. But let's go back a little bit. You say operatic, grand, and all that. You're talking about the production value. I think that the trailer for this film is one of the best trailers we've seen all year. I think that it's up there with the incredible social network trailer. It's something that you can just watch on its own as its own little entity, its own little short film. So I saw the trailer and I said, this looks incredible. I am love. You can see it on YouTube now. Uh, I, I thought it looked, it looked incredible. Saw the movie. Honestly, it didn't live up to that incredible trailer. Well, what were your expectations going into it based on that trailer? What was the what movie where everything you said? What you described, that sounds great to me, operatic, sweeping, Shakespearean film. Okay, and it uses the music of this uh, incredible uh, American uh, composer, John Adams, throughout. It just, it looked great on paper, and the trailer sold it for me. When it comes down to the movie itself, you get the feeling that you find in the trailer, but it's definitely style over substance. And I feel like the script itself does not live up to the production value, to the aesthetics, the visual aesthetics of the movie. And I was I was a little disappointed overall in the end, but a solid effort from everybody involved in putting together what you see on screen. And you mentioned the cinematography, which is gorgeous in this movie. It's by someone named Yorick LaSalle. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, but I think that LaSalle does plenty of new things that we haven't seen with a camera, and this is in just pure what I would gather to be 35 millimeter stock film, and it's something that is luscious visually and something that you can certainly appreciate from an aesthetic standpoint, and like you said, the John Adams score is impressive, and I don't think that it was an original composition of this movie, it would have been impressive had it been, but you have to give credit to Guadagnino for the selections he made in terms of the people he wanted to surround himself with for this production, and that includes the cast, too. But I do sort of agree with you in terms of the style over substance aspect of this movie, although I think that the contents with the script and the characters involved, I think enough of that is interesting that you have this nice foundation that the filmmaker and the cast members could have easily explored had they delved a little bit deeper into these projections that they made uh, because I was willing to care about the lead character, Emma, who is played by Tula Swinton. And as it turns out, this is quite the passion project for Tula Swinton. She's a producer on this, and she went through rigorous training for this movie. I, I heard that she, look, she plays a Russian character who marries into an Italian family, and I've read that Tula Swinton learned Russian and Italian in preparation for this role, right? That some people have said that she actually speaks Italian with a Russian accent. 
Thank <laughs> you. 
So what did you expect exactly? 
told you in a conversation before the show, there's a sequence towards the end between Tancredi and Emma that could serve as the ultimate experimental foreign short film, I guess. Just all of this emotion and drama packed into two lines and physical performances, and it just has the cliches of every student <laughs> art film that you might see at a film school. Uh, but I, I thought it was funny. I got, there was a little value in it in terms of I was able to laugh at it. But I don't think that this is a bad movie at all. I, I enjoyed it. I was never bored while I was watching it. I, I did think that we might be going for another hour <laughs> at the end of the second one. I could kind of feel that coming. But uh, as I said before, it does end abruptly. And it's something that by the time it comes out, say on Blu-ray, I might want to revisit not only for the stylistic devices that are used in it, because there are so many that I think are sound. And I think that this filmmaker is somebody that we should keep an eye on, even if this isn't his best effort uh, for years. Uh, this is, a, this is, you know, say this is a tour de force for a director. <laughs> this is a director who has a vision and is executing it you know, they, in, in a way that they have chosen to execute it. I mean, they got to get back out there. Uh, hopefully, somebody in Hollywood picks up this guy and you know lets him run with something a little more commercial, uh, something with you know kind of more of an A B C point to point narrative. And I'm not, I, you know, I love art films. I love uh, ambig- you know ambiguity. Uh, in, in a movie, sure, that's great. But this 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 guy has a natural talent, and we've talked about it before. You know the the, the the fashion designer Tom Ford made a movie last year, A Single Man. Uh, and a lot of people, myself included, were excited to see what kind of aesthetic qualities he's going to bring to film. You kind of get that feeling here that this is something that kind of maybe was spawned from somebody looking at, 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 a, at an advert, uh, you know, high class advertisement in Vanity Fair. They're like, let's make a movie out of this. And let's throw Tilda Swinton into it because this filmmaker has worked with her before. He made a documentary in 2002 called Tilda Swinton. Thank you. 
you know, I have this kind of snobbery about them when it comes to film. Um, and that's something that isn't really going to appeal to TV audiences. Well, I mean, with these guys, I, I get the feeling that these, when I watch them, when I watch Theodore Scott and Michael Phillips, and this is just the way I feel about a lot of critics these days, and we'll probably, you know, I'm, I'm thinking we'll feel about this show. It's like, these guys don't see the movie with the movies with audiences. These guys go to screenings in, you know, buildings in Midtown Manhattan where it's like a theaters are a third full with a bunch of other snotty critics and how they're feeling that day or how their coffee was made is going to affect their review. I think we need to get back to the audience. You know, I, 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 you know, I don't, you know, you saw this, you know, you went and saw this movie in, in like a corporate screen room at yeah, 9.30 a.m. or something. Yeah. It's like you go from your office where you watch your Blu-rays in the dark and you, you keep the door closed. You then you go to the screen room and back to your office. It's like we need to get back to to what movies are all about, which is people, real people, seeking out entertainment, paying for these movies out of their own pocket. How do they respond? Are you? I, I'd rather hear from a, from an audience member. Well, Graham, you have been in that position before, where you've gone to advanced screenings, several yeah. uh, critic screenings too. Um, I mean, how was that experience for you directly? In the, in, express that you don't think it's one that uh, would translate or someone's interpretation of a film in that setting would really translate to television audiences who are seeing films with other mainstream audience members. Um, did it work for you as somebody who is a fan or someone who was watching something critically? No, it's, it's a totally different atmosphere. It is because people are there. You get kind of this, we're not here to be entertained. We're here for work. What is this movie going to offer me? What am I going to write about it? You know, it's just, it's a weird environment. And, and I've, I've been a film critic for, for a long time. And growing up here in Tuscaloosa, and every movie that I would see that I would review, it came from a, seeing it with a real audience. You know, it's, it's not your typical critic experience. And I think that that's important. And, you know, as, as I get older and I think, you know, do I want to continue to do this? I'm a little disillusioned by the whole film criticism thing because of that, because we're sort of detached from real people. It's like, it's all about how the movie affects their own sensibilities, and they just write it down. And, you know, yeah, and um, I don't think that when we, when we reviewed The American last week, I, I would not have had more fun had I been in the movie room full of critics or by myself if I watched that movie. I think part of what made that experience for me, seeing that on a Friday night, was the man of heroes in front of me snoring out loud, you know what I mean? That's whole, yeah, that, that provided contact yeah. for the movie uh, and its release and its effect on um, audience members. And I had two people walk out during a certain scene, and those are things that I think we need to see, and those are things that we need to communicate when you're reviewing. Yeah, and that gives, experiences like that give your review texture, color. It's not just, this film reminded me of this Antonio movie I have on Criterion DVD. Which is what a lot of critics said about him. You didn't hear critics saying, this is going to make you snore. Mm-hmm. You know, because they didn't see it with an audience. They were just watching it, you know, from their own perspective. And it's just, it's, I think that, that that's what this is missing. And you're Elvis Mitchell, I'm sorry. But that's what he is. He's your prototypical screening-oriented critic. I don't know. I think if you listen to more of the treatment, you might have a different opinion about him. He is highly intellectual. Um, he, you know, a lot of his conversations with some of the filmmakers on there, they do become quite dense, and this is a guy capable of writing uh, very uh, academic, um, indecipherable uh, content related to film, but I think that he is able to uh, communicate with anybody about a movie. I think, yeah, I think that he is engaging, and I think that he cares about it, and what's interesting about him is he sees things, he finds very minute details that you might not have thought of about movies and about the process and about themes that you might uh, or might not notice in these films. So I, I think that is interesting. I think I might, I, I've become a fan of Michael Phillips. I follow him on Twitter, um, and I, you know, I've read some of his stuff, and I've, I've heard him on other shows or seen him on other shows. I think that he does have a strong presence. He, I think when he's allowed to be, he is a funny guy who cares very much and has unique opinions about film. So I think that you might have, and this is no disrespect to Christina Lamar, it's just really because I'm not as familiar with her and I'm willing to give her a chance, certainly. But it might have been interesting to have, if you must have Elvis Mitchell, why not keep Michael Phil? 
stronger of the two, A.O. Scott and Michael Phillips. And maybe, look, ABC and Disney, they just thought, look, this isn't working between you guys. Um, we've got to cancel this or try something new. And Ebert obviously thought that, too. It's not like he saved it and kept A.O. Scott and Michael Phillips on board. Michael Phillips, who is a Chicago film critic, just like Roger Ebert. So maybe Ebert didn't like what he was seeing. I know he certainly preferred it to what we previously saw right before those two. But yes, something might have had to change. But Graham, I think that we're better off having a movie talk show. Oh, absolutely. I love it. So, but, I mean, but, you know, if, if it's something that we do want and it's something that we do need and you're not wild about their selections, who are two or one or more than two people that you might like to see on a show like this? Who, okay, so who did you pick? Well, let me first start off by saying that, uh, that um, I, I just got a face tweet. Um, uh, somebody got people, face tweet is rocking out today. Well, if you're going face tweet, uh, comedian, famous comedian, Patton Smith, face tweeted to me that A.O. Scott said you can't come to his tailgate. <laughs> but no worries, there's always Peter Trevor's and the Rolling Stone tent. Not sure where on the quad that is. But uh, yeah, you know, maybe we have. No, but okay, let's talk about. I'm just enthused that we have a listener out there. That makes me happy. Yeah, I think they're so bad. Thanks. Former guest on the show. Funny guy, too. Better to go for Heisman. So yeah, Patton Smith, the famous Atlanta comedian, uh, is in town. Just look for a 6 uh, 8 version of Justin Bieber. And you might, yeah, you'll, you'll know who he is. Get an autograph. Get him up. Uh, what Patton might give for a microphone right now and airwaves, but Graham, who are people you would like to see host a show like this? Uh, after you and me? Yeah, other than us. Uh, uh, anybody in the aspect radio or press. You know, yeah, they, they've had some success. I'm not as much of a fan of the A.S. Scott Michael Phillips incarnation. Big Ben Lyons, getting him on the side of Jeffrey Lyons, who is an established uh, film critic. Wasn't well, missed that book. Ben Lyons is a TV host. He's a professional TV host. What's his job? He's good at what he does. I mean, he's good at what he's doing for E. He's a, he's a, he's a TV presenter. Yeah. You know, which is a job. It's right. right. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. host of random reality. Not a film critic. No. no. And when he even hosts his, uh, his Academy Awards coverage on E, which I would get, I would be jealous because I feel like people like, like you and me and Corey and Patton Smith need to be well, maybe not that Smith. He probably would have, you know, been seeing the prints of the prequels the whole time. Uh, but I think these are, you know, you need people. He just felt like he was a TV presenter who, you know, gotten an outline of what was what all was nominated, and, and that informed what he was talking about. He didn't feel that real, and he would be a great passion goal for the movie that he saw. <laughs> right. You know, I saw it in the wild the screen with this chick, and it was the best movie of the year, man. Best freaking movie of the year in the wild. I'm done. That's it. That's how I even did it, right? And I was like, uh, what about there will be blood, bro? Did you even see it, dude? You saw Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Yeah. One movie that year. But enough about Ben Lyons. It's kind of long. Yeah. So, anyway, is there anybody out there that you do know of right now that you would say, you know what? They, they uh, should, yeah, should have been there. guest on your show, Blue Kenny. Mm-hmm. I love that guy. He's hilarious. He has, he has got such a deep knowledge of cinema. You know, I mean, this guy could, could take you to school on the silent era of the Abbey Griffith, all the way up to, to Piranha 3D. I think, and I think he's a cantankerous kind of promotionally guy that isn't afraid to mix it up. That's the thing about the, the most recent incarnation. These guys, once they started to argue, they'd be so polite to each other. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, I respect that. Let's remember, why, why was this one Ebert so good? Yeah. Because they weren't afraid to say, you're a jackass. Yeah. I hate your You're being wrong. Yeah. And here's why, right? But, you know, I don't need this this point as well. We are on TV. Maybe if we really want to get into it, we'll do it in the break room, Tony. And I'd love you to be here. No, no. You kind of had this feeling that, look, we weren't expecting to be television hosts uh, of a show like this. We thought that this was going to be Ebert and Cisco and Ebert's job for life. And we were going to be newspaper guys or online guys. And so it feels like these guys were thrown onto a television show and are happy to be there. And they hadn't really embraced it. But look, this was their first year. They hadn't had time to sort of settle into it like Siskel and Gabriel did. They were there for, what, maybe more than 20 years? Mm-hmm. Or maybe a little less than 20 years working together on that show. Uh, so it does take time. But um, here's my pick. And I told you this. And this might be a biased choice because I listen. 
Patrick Kornbrecher, Program Director Chris Dodson, and Production Director Aaron Garrison for their support and contributions to the show. And special thanks to you, Graham, for filling in for Corey. Corey's going to come back where we're going to review Ben Affleck's bank robbery thriller, The Town, next week. But we appreciate your uh, visiting us here in Tuscaloosa. Obviously, you're here for the show, but also for the big game today at Penn State versus Alabama. And we should know that they can follow you, Graham, on Twitter at GFMMI or Graham CNN right up to Twitter accounts. So um, I got two different blackberries, two different blackberry holsters from my, uh, you'll see me today when I'm walking around with my tucked in polo and my duck heads, duck head shorts. Uh, I have two blackberries and one on the back too, just in case that one uses a stylus pen. The one in the back that I keep, so it's a Palm Pilot or a blackberry. It's, it's, uh, it's what Obama would use if he used an apparatus with a stylus pen. We do again want to thank you, Graham, for joining us. And uh, again, Corey will be back next week to talk about Ben Affleck's movie, The Town, which is going to open nationwide. And we're going to talk about Boston set movies, probably the good and the really, really bad. And until next week, I've been Flanagan, and this is Aspect Radio. Thank you very much for listening.